Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad I've got Todd Mulliken with me here in studio, and we've got a number of things we're going to talk about. Todd is kind of an expert on narcissism, but I said, let's get into that a little bit later in the hour. What I do want to talk about is uh, the difference between uh, understanding an extrovert and an introvert, because that I think that's all of us. We're, mm. we're probably in one of two categories, <laughs> introvert or extrovert. Uh, Todd, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bill. Now, before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about a statistic that showed up today in my in, in my email box mm. that came out of a Max Lucado book that said 50% feel as though they've stumbled one too many times for God to use them. Mm. That's half. Mm. That's I, did a the lot. Ma- I did the math for you. Mm. That's a lot. That is. 45% feel closer to breakdown than breakthrough. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's another statistic. And 92% feel as though they're part of the Tilted Halo Society as opposed to the Super Saint Association. Those are titles that mm. Max used in his book. Obviously, the Tilted Halo is it's on, but it's crooked. Okay. You know, and 92% yeah. thought of that. And 48% oh. believe this statement, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, boy. So we've got some biblical literacy issues on top of it. Mm. Boy, p- people are feeling a lot of weight, too, it feels like there, yes. right? Yes, they are. Yeah, that's one of my takeaways. How about you? Yes, I do. And because I want to bring up the idea of uh, extroversion and introversion, because God designed us for community, it might be even a little tougher for people who are introverts to graft into community. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I've been in practice 35 plus years. In the last maybe 15, we're finally starting to give... uh, a shout out to introversion and really the beauty of it. Uh, even one of the main psychological tests that we hand out, Bill, is called the five uh, trait personality theory. And it, it says, here's the five traits to have in order to be, you know, what we're looking for. And mm-hmm. one of them is extroversion. So it's kind of a slam. Oh, I would say so. Right? Yeah. And so I don't think it was intended that way. But, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you know, you should be able to pick things up socially right away, kind of go work the room and, you know, more the better, yeah. stay busy, stay active. And what if you're not naturally at all wired like that? That's tough. I mean, right? you're, you're a natural extrovert. Right. Now, if you're in the grocery store and you see someone you know from a distance... Are you going to make an absolute point of connecting, or are you going to say, well, if we cross paths, we cross paths? Oh, I'm all over it. Yeah, that's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, just like, I'm let's the, go I'm in the other see camp. them. I'm right. in the other camp. Right. Like, yeah, if we cross in the aisles, great. Otherwise, I'm maybe not going to go out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to do that, right? I mean... I guess, but I'm I'm a, I'm a introvert in a big way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and books started coming out finally about the power of quiet, right? So introversion... People who are introverted love quiet. They're wired in a way where quiet energizes. It does. It does. And so I don't have to tell you, but like, you know, when I do couples work, you see that a lot, right? I mean, 
when, especially when we're different, we're really judgy on that difference, mm-hmm. right? The extrovert thinks the introvert is maybe kind of lonely or maybe a little chilly, not that communicative or they don't really, you know, come after you right away. They kind of introspect a little bit, reflect first, mm-hmm. right? And we can really misinterpret that as cold or as detached or as maybe don't have many friends. Mm-hmm. And the introvert views the extrovert as just a lot and kind of shallow. Like, you know, you're buzzing around, working the room, but what are you really talking about? Yeah, <laughs> right? right? Not much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would go talk to the person at the grocery store. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. And then yeah. I'd be thinking about four of the things and boom, I'm gone. But yeah. hey, I made that connection. Right? Yeah. But it's all about how we're energized. And I do think, Bill, through COVID and everything else, if we're not really aware of how we're wired, how we're energized, um, that really can matter. So I think it's really good we know how we're energized, yeah. what style are we more naturally, and how has God made us so that that abundant life can really be abundant mm-hmm. versus draining. Yeah, And it's not an either-or, but I've seen that be a game-changer with couples, with families, and also just with human, just individuals, like, oh... Like, honestly, in the first 20 years of my practice, I had so many referrals of adolescents, Bill, that were at big high school campuses, and the parents were worried about him or her, and they weren't connecting as much, They but they'd be going into a campus of 2,000 high schoolers, and they'd have four or five really good friends, but they weren't around, so they just kind of get frustrated or maybe a little anxious or not feeling like they belong. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Versus like, hey, I'm fine. I just prefer more, a, a few close friends. They happen to not be here, but, oh, actually about 43% of the people I'm bumping into are actually more like me anyway. But So just getting more comfortable with how God has made them and seeing the beauty of introspection, reflection, seeing the beauty of quiet uh, versus like, Hey, why can't I be like those other people that are chit-chatting a lot? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Right? And um, trust me, as an extrovert, I really sometimes go, I can't believe I put my foot in my mouth again. Like, oh, my word. Mm. Right? I'm just kind of coming out too quick, kind of needing to connect too quick. So I, I think, but I think it's really good. And there are what we call ambiverts, Bill. Like, you know, you're an extroverted introvert or you're Never an introverted extrovert. So the ambies are kind of right down the 50-yard oh. line, kind of. Kind of like ambidextrous. Ooh, nice. So wait, is that kind of... Yeah, yeah I mean, that, we that? could use it in the same way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think it's a great talking thing to work through. And and there's a theory that's out. I'd love to get your impression about it. And I don't think, I think maybe a year or two ago, we talked about understanding each other's differences more yep. in here. But um, there's a biological theory out about extroversion and introversion. So see what you think. So in our midbrain is called the reticular activating system. And that has to do with wakefulness and arousal. So the theory goes that uh, we all should try to get to this optimum arousal level to start our day, kind of a baseline energy set to start our day. And if we do that, then, hey, we, we're in that pursuit of the abundant life, and that helps a little bit, And but it's good to know our style. Mm-hmm. The theory suggests, and I, and I have about you know 100 students to 150 students as a professor every semester, so I, I ask them about this question in my intro to psych courses. And uh, most of them uh, agree with the theory. So the theory suggests that in general, to start the day, right when they wake up, extroverts wake up underwhelmed. So the worst thing an extrovert can do is kind of 
ease into the day. It's just kind of slow, you know. Like if I am, and I'm an extrovert, so if I don't have to be at the clinic till eight, I get up at six thirty, um, and I just kind of lay around and like, well, I'm gonna sit and maybe, you know, sleep a little bit for an hour. I'm just gonna lay around and I get more lethargic. If I get up and get going and go to Starbucks, get Laura coffee and connect with the barista for five seconds, like, woo, I'm you're energized. Back, you're back in the game. Right. So extroverts yeah. should r- generally rush into their day. Yeah. Introverts are, they wake up overwhelmed, like, oh, a little bit like, oh. Interesting, Todd. And how, what, what introverts need to do is kind of ease into the yeah. day, you know, and kind of slowly enter mm-hmm. in. And that's a, an interesting theory that can sometimes level set us a little bit to help our day and our routine and rhythm in Jesus. So I think it's just a, a good thing to know. It's very helpful because I'll get up often at 3, 3.30 in the morning, and then those several hours I have until I start connecting are very important. Mm-hmm. I do wake up sometimes overwhelmed. So that quiet time where I'm not connecting is really helpful. Can you imagine if you woke up and then just had to do, be on right away? Oh, that'd be tough. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I have found if I'm just, like, you know, tomorrow I don't have much going on. I don't, I'm not teaching, I'm not doing professor stuff. Laura and I have the day together. We usually have 23 things planned, and she's exhausted, you know, by noon because she's <laughs> married to me, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. but we have kind of an easy morning. Yeah. So I'm going like, oh, so I spoke at this church yesterday and I had four people on the connect afterwards. I'm like, well, I can, I'll fit them in on Saturday morning, a little bit, a little five-minute phone call. Like, ooh, get going. But yeah. No, just, you know. Lights you up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why are you an extrovert or an introvert? What if I told you I was both? Is that yeah, a thing? Both that, and that, sure. That, what do you that, What do you see? The ambi thing, isn't it? So, yeah. So because sometimes I'll, I'll wake up and some days are better than other days. Some mm-hmm. days I want to converse with people and have meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. Other days I just need to be by myself. Mm, that's yeah, good. I like that. How about what you say in general? What energizes you? Are you more energized by going into new situations? Like, hey, let's see what the day brings. Or are you more energized by going into familiar situations? More so familiar. Yeah. That's one of the main differences with introversion and extroversion, too. Introverts uh, are de-energized by a lack of familiarity. Does that make sense? Yep. The, Whereas extroverts like, oh, I don't know you, but whatever, let's say. That's fun and exciting. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, and tell me something. For ex- for you know, the church says, you know, at, during the announcement at church, hey, everybody say hi to somebody, right? right? And then they always say, you know, if I'm you're always, extrovert, yeah. I'm always looking for my contact <laughs> lens at that right, point. Exactly. And I don't even wear contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> totally, right? Yeah. yeah. Todd Mulliken is my guest. You can learn more about him at his website. That is, if you're still paying your bills there. <laughs> is it all? Yes, last time I checked, yes. So they could access the website. They can do that, yes. And what's the name? It's a very creative website name. What is it? ToddMulliken.com. How do you spell that last name? M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. So you're all paid up. (laughs) Last time I checked, yes. If you go there, you're not going to get the spinning beach ball thing. (laughs) No. Okay, good. I think that's important. I appreciate you. Yeah, Todd's an author and a professor and a, a marriage and family counselor. Is that the best way to say it? Yes, and, family Indiv- and I do work with individuals a ton as well. So individuals, Perfect. couples, and families. Yep. Awesome. We'll take a break and come back. I do want to take my five-person survey. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? So only the first five people that uh, send me an answer, I'll have a, I'll have a uh, my survey satisfied. 877-933-2484. Just type the word introvert or extrovert. Looking for the first five to give me my survey results. We'll be right back with Todd in just a minute.
If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Welcome back to the show. Todd Mullican is my guest. We're talking about a number of things today, but right now, introverts or extroverts, uh, why, what are the results? We already have way more than five already in, on the uh, on the text line. What's the results? Yeah, and feel free to keep sending them. I might keep a tally for afterwards and just see everything we get in. But out of the first five we received, three introvert, one extrovert, and one like me. That's both. That's really so interesting, Todd. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you said something interesting during the break. And usually I don't talk to you during the break, but <laughs> today I made an exception. I'm becoming more familiar to you. Right. So and you're I communicating usually, to me a little bit I more. I usually during the break like to uh, sip on the free beverage you bring me every time you come on the show, which is very generous of you. But you also said it can be challenging when a married couple will, will they'll consider their introversion or their extroversion some kind of serious problem. Yeah. And they share about that in, their, in your office. Yeah. Right, so an extrovert might come in and say, you know, I, I really am concerned about my spouse. They don't seem to communicate much. Um, they, you know, aren't responsive right away when I share something. Uh, they really, you know, don't like to do as much as I do socially. So I'm wondering if maybe they have, you know, um, if they uh, perhaps have some covert narcissism. I'm hearing that all the time. Where um, they shut down, they're more internal, they're, they're quiet, or or maybe a, a more lighter mental health issue, like maybe they are depressed, mm-hmm. right? Or I'll have the introvert sometimes come in and go, Galia, I think for sure, just you know, my spouse does have some type of like attention issue, and he or she is really out there with that, and they over communicate when they're in, in crowds and it feels like they're always, you know, wanting to gain attention. Mm. And I wonder if that has to do with some narcissism, you know, because they're always, you know, talking to others like, you know, and they bring the conversation back to themselves. It seems like they're talking about themselves a little bit, but they're always chatting it and it feels like they're trying to gain attention. Does that make sense? It, it does. And so what we're doing is unintentionally, we're just put, mildly putting on our Pharisee robe. And I did it with Laura the first year of marriage for sure. And, I'm, and she was better at it than I was with accepting me, I think. But I was going, because she's more introverted, I was going, boy, I, can you bring some more? Like, can we just stay later to the party? Mm-hmm. Can we, you know, can we just, come on. Yeah. You know, is there something wrong here, right? Versus like, well, slow down. What is true about her story in Jesus? How has God made her and how is she using her introversion to bring, you know, people to Jesus to, you know, how has her introversion helped her in her identity in Christ, right? Um, so we're not having that lens of what we're for with the other. We're having more of a lens of making a case against the other. Mm-hmm. When, when, they're, when you're different than the other, sometimes we make a case against the other. So, Todd, when when a person thinks that their their partner, their spouse, is possibly seeking attention, it might be a normal amount of extroversion, but might the might the partner feel ignored? Truth, that's a really great point, Bill. Too, because in general, without you know trying to overgeneralize here, Bill, but if you have an extroverted introverted couple, or if you have you know families going and you've got three extroverts and one introvert or something, sometimes the extroverts will kind of boom divide and like boom go, and the introverts you know with 
talking to a couple of people they know really well and really work, you know, really having good conversation with those couple of people. But then sometimes they're going like, well, where did you go? You know, where are you? You know, to their, to their spouse or to the other family member. I'm not saying they're always like that, but I work with the introverts and when you're going to those occasions, just know like you are enough in Jesus. You're amazingly reflective and introspective, a deep thinker. I mean, welcome to all the beauty that that brings your story. And, and, and guess what? Wait for it. It's amazing that you love quiet. It's amazing that you love quiet because the scriptures are full of the beauty of quiet and being still and knowing, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So I think um, it's just it's easy to make assumptions about our spouse's intentions, especially when we're different. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're sometimes the person's right. You know, sometimes the person is seeking attention too much and it is an issue but other times it's just the lens i have for that person or sometimes me as an extrovert my spouse is an introvert sure sometimes i'm right maybe you know the person's being that family member or laura's being too quiet or something but more often than not it's just their way of reflecting and introspecting and easing into the day or whatever Mm -hmm. right so i think we need to err on the side of if anything hey this is what i'm just noticing what are you thinking you know, let the other person in versus make the assumption. Mm-hmm. Todd, are introverts shy or not necessarily? No, they're not shy. It's not, uh, yeah. And, and so extroverts aren't outgoing. Introverts aren't shy. This has to do with how we gain energy, right? Okay. So, and that's when we view it that way. We see, hey, this person gains energy that way, and that helps them in their kingdom work. You know, that really helps them gain energy to bring other people to Christ, to be at their best in Jesus, to be for the other, to be all things to all people in order to save some, right? It just helps them be at their best. Mm-hmm. So how do you and I know to, how to be at our best in order to bring people to Christ, in order to really refresh ourselves and get our soul in a good place? And we each get there differently. Yeah, And that's why I'm not for, like I remember leading a retreat bill for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship 100 years ago when I was at St. Cloud State University. And I was the extrovert and the other person helping me lead the evangelism retreat was an introvert. And she had Friday night and uh, I had Friday night and she had Saturday day for the planning. You can't make it up. So Friday night, what'd you think I had? I had four icebreakers, right. you know, during the meal, get up and right. connect with others. Yeah. Like, woohoo, you know, yeah. this is going to be so great. God's going to use it. Yeah. Right. And then she had, hey, from 9 to noon today on Saturday morning, and we've had a nice breakfast. Thanks for that. Good reflection time, people. From 9 to noon, we'd like to have you take your Bible and go out in the woods and, and get close to Jesus. Yeah. And by 9.15, I was losing my mind. Right. right. I mean, I, you know, I had my Bible. I was doing yeah. my quiet time. But I just wanted to go yeah. find somebody. And I am so relieved I'm away from that Todd guy. <laughs> How can he set this Friday night? How was Friday night? You know, Bill's talking to your friend, you know, after the Friday night retreat. How was Friday night? It was horrible. We had to do all that, right? Yeah, but, oh, it made up for it Saturday because I got alone in the woods with my Bible. Totally. Yeah. A cup of coffee. But we can really get judgy on the other person. And how is your walk with Jesus, really? I mean, you're kind of, you're not really connecting with many people. Or, geez, you know, how how long is your quiet time? What's wrong with you? Yeah, right. Do you have problems with (laughs) connecting with Jesus because your quiet time isn't, you know, 73 minutes? Yeah. All right. Uh, Vance read my mind uh, because one of the questions I have coming up for you has already been asked. And that is, how can an introvert evangelize? Oh, golly. I mean, I asked. Beautifully. I I said I wanted to talk about that before the question. That was great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. my mind. I like that. Oh, yeah, they get to be fully them, and they will ask 
Because the beauty about evangelism, in my opinion, is more being for the other and like question asking versus having answers, right? So introverts use one of their superpowers, in my opinion, is introspection and reflection, kind of thinking about that as they ease into that situation, right? What are they going to do, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. how are they doing that? And because they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be able to read that. And so, but I do think the introvert needs to really be really kind to themselves about that and see themselves as God sees them, that they get to utilize that. Because otherwise, we're still in a very extroverted culture mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of how it's viewed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the first key is being kind to themselves and seeing themselves as God sees uh, sees them and then using those gifts of introspection, reflection, understanding, question asking, being slow in that and not slow in a bad way, but just methodical mm-hmm. And present, you know, introverts can be really present. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, they are present and not that extroverts aren't, but extroverts tend to be, you know, I have to really slow it down a hundred miles when I'm really connecting with somebody and really doing some deep spiritual work. Mm-hmm. I've got to just slow, slow, slow. And if extroverts don't do that, they can kind of overtake the situation. Mm. Right, so I would hope Van realizes, like, hey, Van gets to Vance. be all over. That. Oh, who is it? Vance. Vance. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Bad. I just yeah. want to make sure. I don't listen right. very well. So, I know. Yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vance. That's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. So, what I'm thinking is that there's going to be different uh, places if you're at a at somebody's house and there's 25 people in the living room. An extrovert might be real happy talking and evangelizing in that environment, where the introvert might say. Let's uh let's go into the kitchen for a little bit. Let, let's go into the study. We're just a little more quiet, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. environment is important too for an introvert versus it's an everything. Okay, right? yeah, especially in that kind of gathering. Bill, yeah. you're right. Right. If there's a gathering of, of people, right, the introversion, like my wife, when we would do staff parties at our church, she actually created an introverted room where people went in there with her and they were quiet and they'd have nice conversations. Interesting. And it was powerful. And then I went in there and lost my mind, you know, but because, <laughs> because sometimes the extrovert is going like, Hey, there's 23 people here. Yeah. And we need to connect with all 23. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and there's goodness in that because they're doing that. Like Paul said, become all things to all people. Oh good. All people are 23 people. Right. And taking that verse to literally versus like, you know, who are the two people that are there that I really want to connect with in Jesus? Yeah. But if you're an extrovert, you probably feel that connecting to people is easy if you're an introvert, not to be discouraged because... No, you connect in different ways. connect in different ways and, and, and both different keys for different locks. No, and Paul didn't you know, include that in 1 Corinthians 12 about the different gifts, right? That's but, true. But it is one that you know, we need each other in that there's different ways of bringing people to Jesus in terms of style and understanding that. So when you and I know our style, that helps. But I think... Even more with that, Bill, the energy piece about getting ourselves into a good place for our day and our kingdom work and our kingdom walk, it helps to know uh, how we're wired that way. Mm -hmm. I just went to Todd Mulliken's website, and it's there. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I wasn't anticipating that. But no, it's still working. It's still working. Yeah, And you see the picture of the clinic and a nice little picture of it. It's up and running. ToddMulliken.com. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back as we continue talking about extroverts and introverts, and we're going to talk about narcissism as well. That's all coming up next.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, thank you for doing so. We're talking to Todd Mulliken. And so far we've talked about are you an extrovert or an introvert or a combination of both. And the survey I did, and a lot of people participated, so thank you for doing that, um, mostly introverts listening. Mm. And several people saying I'm a little bit of both. Um, I always tell people I have learned I am an extroverted introvert. My flesh would like to not talk to anyone and stay in my safe shell. The Jesus in me is the extrovert. Oh, This is when I ask <laughs> Jesus to use me and shine through me, and he surprises me because I'm very energetic with anyone with whatever I'm passionate about. Ooh, boy, do they know themselves. Oh, yeah. Love that. Yeah. Wow. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's the person using their their awareness and their gifts in Jesus for the edification of others. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, right? We use those gifts for the edification of the common good, right? So that person is doing that. They're they're really edifying the person they're with mm-hmm. by using, understanding their extrovert, introvert stuff. Yeah. Love how, that. How fast, Todd, can an introvert spot another introvert? Mm. I'm not saying depending on where they're sitting at a party. Oh, well, I'll ask you that. What do you, what do you think? What do you well, think? I, I don't know because yeah. sometimes people have a, a, a they, they wear a different persona in public mm. and they're, mm. but deep down they would like to go, mm, I'd like to just be home right now yeah. and alone. Right. I think it's tougher probably to figure that out in public a little bit because of that point, the persona, yeah. because you know, the ex, the introvert can do extroverted work for a while. And some people like I, when I, especially I talk with couples a lot in, in this area, Bill, where the introvert is in an extroverted job and they have seven meetings with 20 people on at all the meetings. They come home and they got nothing. Mm-hmm. And they, that's fine. They get to be quiet for two hours. doesn't mean they don't love their spouse. It means they are exhausted. Or the extrovert has um, a really introverted, introspective job, and they want to get home and get going and connect and do lots of stuff. So are we taking that stuff into account? Uh, if we're a parent, do we know the uniqueness of how God has wired each of our kids? And with our three daughters, you know, you know, the 33, 32, and 30, but I remember with one of them is more introverted. I thought, well, what, well, um, how many, how many friends do you have now? Or what do you have? What do you got going on this weekend? Oh, is there more things you want? Oh, shut up, Todd. <laughs> right? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. How has God made her? Right. Right. No. Right. So, do I know myself well enough to bring out the best in my friend, who maybe is different than I am, yeah. or a, a child, or a, a parent? Yeah. You know? Anyway. Now, as a counselor, uh, Todd, I'm going to ask an unscripted question. You didn't see this one coming, and I just thought of it ten seconds ago. Mm-hmm. But how? What percentage of people do you think may be presenting an imposter to the world? Mm. I think for it's a great question. I would offer very anecdotally uh, that the people that are feeling like they there is something wrong with their style will tend to gravitate towards that imposter stuff more. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, Versus kind of just being comfortable with who they are, you know, just, especially like that one uh, listener said there about 
you know, knowing their uniqueness and how they're made and then using this part of themselves, you know, um, and having Jesus shine through there. I think when we feel inadequate about a certain area, I think that's when we're more of a tendency to compensate and, and cope in different ways that just aren't authentically yeah. who we are. Yeah. I don't know if I asked that question well or worded it well, but you mm. certainly know people that might be completely upbeat all the time, but you know the truth about them. Right. So you think, well, they're doing their best to present something beautiful to the world. Mm. Maybe I didn't like the the word present an imposter. Okay. Uh, maybe I, you know, it's just the wrong choice of words, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Yep. Um, they're maybe rising above their feelings. Mm. They're rising above their circumstances and presenting um, the happiest, most joyful person to the world they can. Mm. And that's not an imposter. That's just, no, that's, that's superhuman effort. That is. That's yeah. just bringing forth fruit because they get to, right? They're bringing forth fruit that it that does take extra effort. Uh, but hopefully they know that that's important that they get to do that. Yeah. Now, recently you presented on narcissism, and I know this is a topic we've talked about before. Every time this comes up, a lot of people get really interested. Mm -hmm. So you said that as you presented just recently, you had about 800 questions. Yeah. What were some of the questions you were hearing about narcissism? Uh, A lot of it was how to walk alongside somebody that has it. Um, I was talking a lot about the main causes of narcissism, which tend to be either growing up with a lot of entitlement or growing up in a lot of trauma. And not an either or, but you see a lot of both. So somebody that grows up in a lot of trauma where they were bullied a lot, now as a big person, they're starting to bully more Mm. because they were bullied. They didn't win a fight, now they want to win every fight. They never were right, now they're going to be right all the time. Okay. And so we want to make sure we see their story, not endure the story, but I say a lot to clients now, see it, don't wear it. You know, see them as, see their story. Don't say what's wrong with you, say what happened to you, right? What happened? Mm, I like that. You know, versus yeah. what's wrong with you? Well, you're this, you're that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, what happened to you? That seems like a default question. What's wrong with you? Right. But that's not the right question. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it's the right posture. Yeah. So a lot of questions like that about how does, and, and so what happens, you know, and, and why do, why do they evolve into some of those nine symptoms that, you know, make, make up narcissism and, so there was a lot of questions like that. Um, there were a lot of questions about, because what I was speaking to a little bit, Bill, was what we call my feel comorbidity. So for example, let's say there's what some- What was that word? Comorbidity, where somebody can have more than one mental health or one more than one mental health issue, which doesn't mean it's more, but we want to know what's driving what. Okay. So for example, somebody has fairly intense anxiety and it comes out with kind of managing the home, managing- their life kind of uh, overprotection, kind of worried a lot about what could go wrong, what could go wrong. This is the way we got to do things. Over vacuuming the car, is etc. <laughs> right, and then so they're they're not they're unintentionally needing it to be going well because bad stuff's going to happen if we don't. Yeah, right. And they have kind of a laid back spouse. That spouse might you know go on a podcast and say. I'm married to narcissists because, you know, they have a need to be right. They lack empathy in those moments. Uh, they come they come off like they have an excess, excessive need for admiration. Like, what's going on? And, and well, maybe there's trauma in their story or maybe they just have untreated anxiety. So if we can slow down the worry, if we can help them go from what if to what is true, mm-hmm. and we can help them be more gentle, you know, then what happens is actually what's happening is they have untreated anxiety that shows up with some narcissistic traits. 
Or we see that a lot with ADHD that's untreated. Somebody has ADHD and they're very impulsive, they're very like fire-ready aim, they're very inattentive and distracted and can kind of make um, decisions kind of... Uh, at you know, in the moment that aren't healthy and they're not, they seem to be, they have a hard time landing the plane when they talk. So they can talk about one thing for a while. And somebody that's married to that might go like, you know, they, they're a lot and it's always about them. Yeah. And, uh, and geez. And, and so what may be true is they have a narcissistic trait of a lack of empathy uh, but it also may be true that they have untreated ADHD. I'll also say I see a bill in autism, in untreated autism. So mild autism can, because oftentimes goes untreated, and people that have autism have a um, have a hard time picking up on social cues, and they will also be in restrictive, uh, repetitive behaviors, and kind of savant-like, but very kind of rigid in it. Mm-hmm. So that can come off like, hey, you know, where where is the other? I'm with you and you don't seem to notice me. And so versus, God, if we treat the autism and help that person, yeah. then some of the narcissistic edges get quieter. Does that make sense? So sometimes, so the, the talk I gave is, is it is it narcissism or is it something else? So there's a lot of things. And I spoke, I, I mentioned on this talk I gave uh, Thursday, Bill, that over 20 years ago was the first time I presented at Century College on this topic. And just to see where it's gone in 20 years, it's kind of scary to me a little bit. Like now we have over five kinds of narcissism and we have, in my opinion, we're, we're not looking enough at each individual. Now, for, in some cases, it's been freeing. And actually, the truth is somebody has been living in an abusive situation. They're married to a malignant narcissist who has all nine symptoms. They grew up in entitlement. And that is true. And so we've got to create boundaries and we've got to protect ourselves and we need to confront the situation and we need to get all over that and not endure it. Mm -hmm. But there's many other cases out there as well that that is not the situation, but it kind of looks a little bit like, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we always just want to know what is the truth about that person and what their story is. What's the story? And what are we trying to heal? What are we trying to treat? Because, Todd, I would imagine the trauma is, is from childhood would be very much of an indelible kind of blueprint that they have to navigate. Oh, it's right? unbelievable. And the only time I've seen success in working with that is when they are really committed. They have a sense of a, a deep trust with that therapist. Cause, and what usually has to happen, Bill, is something happens with maybe an adolescent in their home or a young adult that is just so tired of this behavior and tired of, of experiencing that, that that wakes up that person for the first time in his or her life to say, what is going on here? And still they might not be open to change. But usually if you take them back into their story, into their childhood, and they see what happened to them in that kitchen from age 4 to age 15 every yeah. day after school. Yeah. Oh, and oh, I'm doing that now at home. Oh, I don't mean to, but I'm doing that. I'm repeating what happened to me. You know, it's those windows that you're looking for mm-hmm. where God comes in and can transform over time. Yeah. Now, more it, often than not, the person doesn't want to stay in therapy to get there because that indelible blueprint, like you said, Bill, is kind of controlling their life. But if you're, if you never received empathy, 
as a kid, and you wished you did. You wished people would come alongside and feel your pain, and nobody did. Does that go into the? Is that the pressure behind the dam? That one day that's going to crack, and it's coming. And it's that coming. water's coming out. It's coming. And you're going to not have empathy for others because I didn't get it myself, and yep. that becomes a narcissistic trait. It does, big time. And that's one of the big ones, Bill. And then what happens, the other big one is this excessive need to be admired is the fourth symptom. And a lot of times that shows up where uh, the spouse will try to just bring up something. The spouse that's married to a narcissist will try to bring up something that's you know fairly... You're not a big deal, but hey, you know, it felt like this, how, how you were with the kiddo yesterday, as a, I thought it was a little harsh, but what do you think? You know, even a reasonable volley, like, boom, yeah. it just lights them up because they don't have any skin left from their upbringing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? There's no skin left because it was cut away from just emotional abuse and, you know, emotional invalidation forever. So that disagreement feels like an attack. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, until that person who's, you know, who's experienced, who's you know, lived in that, until they start to see like that, oh yeah, and that lack of empathy is the biggest of the nine. That's the hardest one to treat. The the seventh symptom is a lack of willingness or capacity to empathize yeah. with others. Wow. All right, Todd Mulliken's my guest. We're going to take a little break. Todd, I'm going to give you 90 seconds to think about this. I want you when we when we return to discuss. Untreated anxiety versus narcissism. How about that? Got it. And of course, next week is our fall fundraiser. And I just have to give you a heads up. Boy, oh boy, there's going to be something very exciting happening Monday at 6 a.m. Day one. There's the tease. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. All right, if you want to learn about Todd Mulliken, I think, is the website up? Is it working? It was five minutes ago, but okay. you never know. Well, I haven't checked in five minutes. Oh, I understand. So yeah. it's at, is it, what Todd, how do you, what's it, Mulliken? Oh, there's t- actually two D's in Todd, so. There's two D's in Todd. Yes, yeah, so that's and, why you're having trouble. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. ToddMulliken.com. All right, Todd, let's talk about untreated anxiety versus narcissism. Okay. Please say more. So anxiety is usually excessive worry, feeling keyed up and on edge. Uh, It is irritability and restlessness. Those are the four big headlines of what we call generalized anxiety disorder, and that's the most common anxiety disorder. So that can show up, like I mentioned earlier, Bill, with lots of, when they're in the what-if house, when they're really worried, they can be the person that ends up kind of controlling everything because they're very worried. And once they get every, once that gets done, then good. That means I don't have to worry about that. Once I get that done, good. So something bad could happen to one of the kids, so we'll make sure we protect them for sure. And now for sure, since they're not going to drive till they're 18 because they could get in an accident when they're 16. <laughs> so now that they're 18, okay. Whew. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just, just living in that, that's a lot. Yeah, It's painful. The other way, though, Bill, it can show up is in avoiding everything. 
So when people get anxious, they sometimes don't want to avoid situations because they're anxious. They want to avoid hard conversations. They want to avoid conflict. They, they shut down. They turtle up under stress. Okay? So those are the two postures. So when anxiety gets severe, one of those two postures, sometimes it's a both and, but usually based on the personality, I see them going one way or the other in general. So now you're living with somebody that is experiencing that untreated anxiety. And if if you're kind of deferring to the overmanaging, then you're usually enduring that and wondering about it and, and feeling like they're very controlling, very dominant, will not listen to another perspective on anything because they're just riddled with fear, right? And so that inability to listen and understand will feel very uh, like a narcissistic trait. Um, but also the avoidant posture of just shutting down, shutting me out, not giving me any any kind of understanding can come off more in like that quiet or that covert type of narcissistic framework. So you can I've seen anxiety be very comorbid with narcissism in some cases. And remember narcissism real quickly, there's nine symptoms that make up narcissistic personality disorder, which is the common expression of narcissism. And number one is they will embellish and expect to receive, uh, they, they want to be acknowledged for things greater than they do. The second symptom is they are preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, ideal love, or beauty. The third symptom is they kind of think they're a big deal, so they're, they're more over the other and they're more condescending. A little bit better. Yeah, right? And then the fourth is they have an excessive need to be admired. And that usually shows up with hypersensitivity to any criticism. The fifth is a sense of entitlement where they want automatic compliance to their wishes and expect extra favorable treatment. The sixth, which really gets confusing, is they will exploit others. A mild narcissist that has one of these nine traits isn't waking up looking to exploit anybody. They're just waking up living in a little bit of that whatever, and they just want to be right and they really want to get their way. The one that has all nine symptoms that had either truckloads of trauma or is really entitled and lacks empathy, forgiveness, and gratitude sometimes will intentionally exploit, okay? And what I've seen these days is everybody's being thrown into that nine out of nine camp, right? If you have a little bit of it, you don't really have a little bit of it, you have all of it. The seventh symptom I mentioned earlier is a lack of capacity or willingness to empathize. The eighth has two parts. Uh, one is... Um, they're jealous of others, and I think we all can fall into that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the second part of that eighth one is they think others are jealous of them. Mm. So wait for that one, right? So like, yeah. So I don't, yeah, yeah. That one's like that one's a lot. So if you're in the mirror thinking of the 15 people that you think are are jealous of you, kind of, you might want to. Give me a call. Give me a call if you can find my website. The ninth symptom is um, an arrogant or haughty attitude, which kind of um, overlays all of the other eight. It makes sense. They just come off kind of arrogant and haughty mm -hmm. and bring the conversations back to themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's actually what narcissism is. And what I'm trying to see, say is that sometimes narcissism is the primary driver from chronic trauma of being abused or shamed or neglected or always being entitled. Like the parents were just way too permissive and it was always the pastor's fault, the student, the other student's fault, the teacher's fault. No, your kid just made a mistake, mm. you know, and they need to be corrected for that or whatever. So they just were never, there was never any guardrails or, or correction, but they were always entitled 
And now they continue to want to get their own way and will do what they have to do to get their own way. Mm-hmm. So if a person's been married for 20 years, did they marry a narcissist on day one or can the narcissist become one over those 20 years? Yeah, yes to both, right? Okay. I mean, it's a both and for sure, as you find with lots of cases, Bill, it could be either or, or both, mm-hmm. right? It could be that, I mean, typically if it is the full-blown personality disorder, usually it is from chronic a trauma in the childhood, okay. but also in your early twenties, you've been away from the you know the firsthand smoke now for two or three years. You're out of that chaotic home, and maybe you're having a good time in college, and you know maybe things are okay. But boy, once you get back in those four walls, then the past comes rushing back in. So there is those kind of cases. There are other cases, Bill, where people grew up in a fairly reasonable home, but let's say they went into some type of field or industry or athletics where they really got the red carpet rolled out for them, or they have this amazing business success that just takes off and they're handed stuff left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. And now they're becoming very entitled. And so sometimes we see the evolution of narcissism more that way, where they didn't have it right away, but they kind of started to get it and then they just wanted more of it. Mm -hmm. How do we undo some of that difficult situation in a, in a marriage? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. I mean, honestly, you know, the book I wrote a few years ago, being right versus being liked, uh, the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families kind of talks about some boundaries that that spouse can take that's living in that to start addressing the issues. Uh, There's many good books out there about that kind of thing where really the person that's kind of seen that narcissistic spouse or wonders if it is, they should probably see somebody that's really trained in understanding narcissism and get a fair kind of understanding of it before they just run to that diagnosis through a podcast or two. Um, And the second step would be then is start having honest conversations conversations with the narcissist, which won't go well, but just about letting that person in about what they're experiencing. Um, because I've usually found that unless the codependent type brings up the issue, it never happens. Nothing changes. It isn't on the codependent. They can choose to create separation and strong boundaries, which I always recommend. But usually what doesn't happen, unless there's some big thing that happens, Bill, like I mentioned, like an all of a sudden an adolescent or a young adult kid won't talk to them anymore or that young adult firstborn marries somebody and says, I don't want to be around your dad, or I don't want to be around your mom because they are this and they are that. I don't, I'm not going, I'm not going to Arizona to, to experience that for the weekend. Our kids certainly aren't going. Whoa. And now that, you know, now that uh, father or mother is sensing that, and then the spouse who's married to that narcissist who has been enduring that, is now it's, it's game time. Now it's a wake-up call. So sometimes I've seen that 50-year-old, if you will, look in the mirror for the first time because now their uh, 25-year-old son and uh, daughter-in-law ain't coming, ain't coming mm-hmm. to Thanksgiving. So sometimes it takes that type of wake-up call to start. But then it's all about the journey of healing and restoring. And depending on a lot of it's, again, that, you know, like Jesus didn't say, you know, the Beatitudes is all about the Beatitudes, isn't it? I mean, he didn't say blessed are those that have their act together, right? So he started with blessed are what? You know, the poor in spirit and Mm -hmm. blessed are the meek. And so it takes that. Yeah. Are narcissists inclined to avoid fellowship? You know, as iron sharpens iron, one man, another. Mm. Does a narcissist want to not be involved in that? Because I don't want to be told anything about my life or especially not from you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great question. I, I, I got a question like that a couple of days ago. And the one I was asked was, who's a typical friend of a narcissist? And I said, yeah, it's yeah. usually a yes person. Okay. 
So they correct the people around that person usually are yes, yes men or yes women. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, we they follow they follow this this leader, and this leader is usually right, and um, and that shows up in the friendship. So if you confront it and they really don't have any skin left and feel like you're attacking them, then unless there's really good work, unless that narcissist is really open to taking a look a little bit, it it can end the relationship. So usually they surround themselves with people that will. Or the people that stay with them mm-hmm. will be people that uh, go along with them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, Todd. I know there's um, a lot of people that I just got a text from speaking uh, about my husband to a T, mm. four years old. You wonder yeah. how, many, how many years mm. you're involved in that, where you constantly want things to get better. Well, they, they just don't. Year after year, they don't. Yeah, nothing tougher. And that's mm-hmm. why the... But the marriage ended, so yeah. I'm not reading I gotcha. all the all the text, but yeah, that's yeah. the direction it was going. For sure. Yeah. In other words, we're complicated. It's a complicated society. It is. We're complicated humans, and that's how mm-hmm. God has designed us. But, but yeah. If you're, if you're walking close to the Lord, you're in his oh. word, you're in fellowship, you're in accountability, I'm guessing you're going to be way less of a mar- of a narcissist. <laughs> you certainly have the, the opportunity because you're staying in that position to potentially have a sense of humility, which is what is elusive for the narcissist. Yeah. Well, Todd, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah. 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 If people were to um, want to get a hold of you, what what would they do? Write a, write a letter to your office? What, what, I don't know. There's call, snail mail or well, something? Or is there, I have you, a fax machine. So, do you, do you yeah. have a website? I do. Well, yeah. you, okay. I wish you would have told me up front. What is the website? <laughs> ToddMulligan.com. ToddMulligan.com. Yes, it's, it took that's, a while to come up really with that, but creative. Yeah, I was wow. really, you know, yeah, I like appreciate to, like you bringing that up. What second place was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, Todd. Uh, thank you. We're gonna take a break and then come back with Dr. Rebecca Ree in hour two, and we're just letting you know next week is our fall fundraiser. I cannot wait. It's gonna be fun. Just to let you know, Monday morning, six o'clock. Pretty special start to the fundraiser. You don't want to miss it. All right, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.